the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. At the World Cup, Iranian players remain silent during their national anthem in a display of solidarity with protesters in their country. Despite lethal force and military units deployed all around the country, people continue to come out into the streets. Some Republican lawmakers are urged to reconsider their stance on the Respect for Marriage Act. This deceptively named Respect for Marriage Act really disrespects the American people. A fourth rail union rejects the Biden-brokered deal making a strike more likely. They are going back to the negotiating table. They have until December. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, November 22nd. I'm Jim Bartow. Iran's football players made news at the 2022 World Cup match with England by refusing to sing their country's national anthem seemingly in solidarity with ongoing protests against their country's government. Iranian fans could be heard booing their country's anthem while in the stands. Some Iranian fans traveled to the sporting event, which was hosted by Qatar, saying that they wanted the world to see and hear why they are protesting against the Iranian regime. That's the main reason that we are here, to just be voice of our people, of our country. The people at the moment, they are fighting to just have their human rights. You cannot believe that the regime, they are killing kids, children in the high school, in the street. You cannot believe that, how they are fighting, you know. We are just trying to protect our family, our friends in front of the regime. For over two months, nationwide protests have grown across the country of Iran. Those protests began after the death of Masa Amini, a young woman who was arrested for allegedly wearing a hijab too loosely and later died in police custody. Many Iranian athletes and celebrities have backed the protesters, but the football team's decision to remain silent during the national anthem is perhaps the biggest display of support. But Iranians are not simply protesting compulsory hijab. According to Nazanin Boniadi, a human rights ambassador for Amnesty UK, Iranians are ultimately fighting theocracy. Iranians are not just protesting compulsory hijab or the morality police. They're protesting against gender apartheid, forced confessions, no due process, unfair trials, extrajudicial killings, no free expression, torture, child marriage, government corruption, the funding of terrorism, and mainly, they're fighting theocracy. On Monday, reports emerged of an alleged massacre carried out by the government of Iran on a Kurdish-majority city when video clips surfaced on Twitter. (laughs) 
Jasmine Ramsey, the deputy director of the Center of Human Rights. Despite lethal force and military units deployed all around the country, people continue to come out into the streets. They're calling for social and political change. They're calling for freedom. They're calling for accountability. It's been more than two months since Gina Massa Amini was killed in Iranian state custody. And instead of holding a single person accountable, the Iranian government has sent out its state forces on a killing spree. Right now, on the ground in Iran, it's Kurdish-populated regions. If you remember, Gina herself was Kurdish, uh, that are facing killing sprees in several cities, including uh, Sanandaj and Juanrud and Piranshar. They're all, people are just being gunned down in the streets. We're seeing footage of people running over bodies uh, to try to flee. And it's so important to know that these protesters are not armed. In some cases, they're picking up rocks and throwing them at these gun-wielding state security forces. So it's really not an uh, even fight, yet the Iranian people's courage and resilience is truly astounding. Ramsey explains that protesters want to overthrow the regime. If you judge by the chance of the people, death to the dictatorship, death to Khamenei, absolutely. They're also saying that they want an end to the killings, and it's it's really being referred to as a child-killing state. This is a government that trembles at the sight of people that it claims to represent, that goes to all lengths, including gunning down children to preserve its power. So certainly people want the government to come down. More important than, what than that is the fact that the government doesn't want anyone to actually hear them. And right now, as we speak, there's a massive internet shutdown across Iran, um, and especially in the Kurdish-populated regions where there's a massacre being carried out. Ramsey goes on to say that protesters remain defiant in spite of the government using lethal force. I think it's the opposite. Um, Iranians mourn on the third and 40th day since the killing of someone. And since there's been hundreds of people killed, we're seeing these ceremonies happening over and over. And the Iranian state forces are actually using lethal force at these ceremonies. So people are not even allowed to grieve in peace without facing lethal force. Uh, so there's so much anger. And you're seeing this by people, even the family members of those who been killed refusing to bend to pressure by government agents to be quiet and speaking with loudspeakers at the funerals for their loved ones saying this the story that the government is peddling in state-controlled media is not true here's what happened they shot at us they shot at my child Uh, so people are not backing down this came as another news report surfaced at the sporting event alleging that the Qatari crackdown on the LGBTQ community extended to credentialed media. According to reports, journalist Grant Wall, who covers soccer and formerly wrote for Sports Illustrated, tweeted that he was being detained at the U.S.-Wales match because of his shirt, which had a soccer ball surrounded by a rainbow. Wall said that he was told to change his shirt. Later, Wall did update his followers on the social media app, by saying that he was okay, but it was an unnecessary ordeal. Homosexuality is illegal in Qatar, and though assurances were given that the LGBTQ fans would be accepted, Qatar seems keen to suppress discussion of the issue. On Monday, the board of Disney ousted current CEO Bob Chapek for its former CEO Bob Iger. On June 28th, the Disney board extended Chapek's contract for three more years, 
But less than five months later, the board reversed its decision, putting itself on the hook for paying tens of millions in severance to JPEG. According to some reports, problems arose when Disney's fiscal fourth quarter results weren't good, and JPEG also told investors streaming losses had plummeted, but assured investors that streaming services would be profitable again by 2024. Jason Bazinet, City U.S. media and entertainment analyst, says there are possibly two reasons why Disney made the change. Well, let me let me roll the clock back a bit. I, I think the template that Mr. Iger had was he was going to complete the Fox acquisition. He was going to um, get the DTC business launched and then pass the baton to Mr. Chapik, who is uh, going to execute on the plan. And, the, you know, I don't think that there's a, a, a chorus of institutional investors that were looking for this change. That's why it surprised everybody. So I think there's sort of two implications about why this happened internally. One is the targets that they laid out for 2024 in terms of subs and getting to break even yep. at the DTC business is not going to happen. Hmm. And they, they don't want someone that doesn't have a lot of love to communicate that message to the street. So if you're going to communicate that bad news, you'd rather it come out of someone like Mr. Iger than mm-hmm. Mr. Chapik. That's one path. The second is, is that you may hit those targets, um, but to really get the profitability, you're going to have to pursue M&A. And there again, if you're going to try and convince institutional investors that we need to buy another studio to get more synergies, to get this at the proper yeah. scale, you want someone of Mr. Iger's stature to communicate that. So those are the two, I think, most likely paths. Bazinet says that in his opinion, the board of Disney was simply unhappy with the financial losses under Chapek's leadership. I don't think they're mad about the strategy. They're they're just don't like the losses, right? And so if you if you yeah. think about that, you you can you, you have to paint a credible picture for how we're going to go from the four billion of EBIT losses they generated this last fiscal year to break even, and that that's what needs to be articulated. Now maybe that can't be done organically. Maybe it requires M and A. Maybe it can be done organically and it's yeah. require cost cuts. But that's what needs to be communicated to the street. Bazinet explains what paths Disney could take under Iger's resumed leadership to make Disney streaming profitable again. Cost cutting across studios, traditional studios, and think about building or acquiring a big library of content that's actually owned. So there's a number of other media companies that are out there that are subscale that have deep libraries where you'd get a lot of cost saves. Mm. Um, And so that's where I would be thinking. I mean, I think everybody knows that there's too many DTC uh, products yep. out there, and there are a lot of companies that aren't don't have sufficient scale mm-hmm. to cross the Rubicon and generate profits. And so, rationalization, I think, is the order of the day. Not among the, the what I'll call the two winners, Disney, Netflix, yeah. but more uh, from the players that aren't going to get there. Disney has been in the news most recently due to their tumultuous relationship with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over the governor's parental rights and education bill which reinforces the rights of parents to have a say in what their children are being taught in schools. Disney famously rejected the bill by DeSantis, while some media outlets have called the legislation the Don't Say Gay bill. Some believe that Chapek's downfall came, at least in part, out of his bungled response to Florida's controversial parental rights and education bill, and how his decisions had impacts on Disney's reputation. Last week, the Senate allowed the Respect for Marriage Act, the bill that would codify same-sex marriage into law, to pass a key procedural hurdle. The bill gained bipartisan support, clearing the filibuster with a vote of 62 to 37. 
Democrat Representative Mondaire Jones of New York praised the bill's passage. My bill with Jerry Nadler to simply allow states to decide the question of marriage equality and require the federal government to recognize that. Uh, This is common sense. I mean, this is something that respects religious liberties, but also the dignity of so many people, including over 500,000 people, couples, I should say, in this country who are already married. Jones does point out that he understands why some Republicans are pushing to get the Senate bill passed through the House before the new Congress is sworn in. Republicans in the Senate want to get this done before the GOP takes control of the House of Representatives in January of 2023. They don't want this to be an issue that Democrats like myself can run on. However, critics of the bill say that Republicans must oppose the Respect for Marriage Act because it doesn't respect religious liberty. According to some critics, while the bill pays lip service to religious liberty, it doesn't offer any meaningful protections of those rights. Matt Sharp, an attorney at Alliance Defending Freedom, says that the name Respect for Marriage is deceptive. This deceptively named Respect for Marriage Act really disrespects the American people and threatens our most basic freedom. What it does is requires the federal government to recognize any type of marriage that's recognized by a state. But in doing so, it threatens religious liberty. It empowers the federal government with these broad new powers to go after people of faith, faith-based organizations, and others that hold traditional views about marriage, biblically-based views about marriage, and gives the federal government broad powers to punish organizations and people that hold those views. Sharp explains how the bill would work in practice. When you read the language of this so-called Respect for Marriage Act, it's requiring the federal government to recognize anything that a state law may pass. So if they do uh, marriages between siblings or or close relatives, uh, if they do time-bound marriages or even marriages between uh, young children and adults, all of that would be bound upon the federal government, requiring the federal government to recognize that. And so we see us going from the the days when we recognized marriage as the union of one man and one woman, and then since Obergefell, we're seeing sort of the door opened, and and this is going to continue to open that door open wide to all these different understandings being pushed into federal law, and then likewise turned around and enforced on people of faith and organizations that uh, serve their communities from a faith-based perspective. Sharp says that the bill will, in his opinion, empower the federal government to go after people of faith who believe a marriage is between one man and one woman. This is part of this bigger aggression that we're seeing towards people of faith that hold to the view that between marriages between man and one woman. So whether the Jack Phillips, the Colorado cake baker, or Alliance Defending Freedom has a case that's going to be argued at the Supreme Court in a matter of weeks on behalf of a Colorado artist, uh, Lori Smith, who does custom websites and others and wants to be able to create custom websites consistent with her view of marriage. People of faith are coming under increased aggression from the federal government and state governments over their beliefs about marriage and family. And so what the so-called Respect for Marriage Act is going to do is give more authority to the federal government to be able to enforce this broad understanding that marriage is anything that a state says it is, and be able to to go after people of faith, to go after organizations of faith and say, unless you comply with this, you can face lawsuits, you can face federal government action, you could even potentially lose your tax-exempt status if you're a nonprofit organization. So all of these things are going to flow from this bill if it passes and becomes law. Sharp goes on to say that the bill will broaden the government's abilities and the abilities of other individuals to sue faith-based organizations. The concern is when you're giving these broad new powers to the federal government, whatever lip service they may be paying in this amendment is not going to take away the fact that we are completely 
blowing up the understanding of marriage, disrespecting people and organizations that believe marriage is between a one man and one woman, and opening um, them up to lawsuits, not just from the federal government, but from other people. It's going to allow these faith-based organizations to just be sued by citizens that disagree with them. And so whatever they may say in this, it's still creating vast new powers for the government and other people to go after people of faith and the organizations that they work in that serve their communities. Three prominent Democrats could lose their committee jobs if House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy becomes Speaker of the House. House Minority Leader McCarthy's pledge to block Democratic Representatives Eric Swalwell, Adam Schiff, and squad member Elon Omar from committees in the next Congress drew a strong response from the lawmakers. Omar, a Minnesota Democrat who has been accused of making anti-Semitic statements, claimed that McCarthy's pledge was just another example of her being targeted by Republicans. Quote, From the moment I was elected, the Republican Party has made it their mission to use fear, xenophobia, Islamophobia, and racism to target me on the House floor and through millions of dollars of campaign ads, said Omar. Daybreak Insider's Ken Lormand has the details. McCarthy wants to remove Representatives Ilhan Omar, Adam Schiff, and Eric Swalwell from their congressional committees once Republicans take back the House. He's vowed to remove Swalwell and Schiff from the House Intelligence Committee and Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. With the GOP claiming the majority next year, he may be able to keep his promise. He's likely to be selected Speaker, but does face Republican opposition. Ken Lorman reporting. On Monday, members of America's largest rail union rejected a labor deal with freight railroads, raising the risk of a rail freight strike in two weeks. All 12 rail unions have finished their own ratification process, with eight voting in favor, while four voted against. The four unions who voted no will stay on the job until early next month while negotiations are being held. Should the union workers strike, it would cause a widespread disruption in the nation's supply chain and overall economy. To make matters more complicated, even if only one of the 12 unions decide to strike, the other 11 unions would honor the picket lines and shut down the railroads. Danny Romero of Yahoo Finance explains what the sticking point is for rail workers. So this is the fourth union out of the 12 that have rejected this tentative deal. And as we know that the uh, Smart Transportation Division, which consists of 28,000 conductors, um, they are going back to the negotiating table. They have until December 8th to really reach that deal. And the president of the Smart Transportation Division said today that they uh, believe that they can settle this through negotiations with Without a strike, but again, though um, the biggest sticking points at the table right now go back to the life benefits revolving around sick leave. Romero says that should a strike happen, it will impact the economy not just in the present, but perhaps even into the spring. But again, those that could be impacted is UPS. They are the biggest uh, rail customer. And they came forward today and telling us in a statement, we encourage an immediate resolution that is beneficial to all parties. And we believe that agreements can be reached. A rail strike, a railway uh, strike can cause unnecessary impacts to the U.S. economy and consumers. UPS will flex our in- integrated smart logistics network and service 
serve our customers. But again, Kiko, if there is a strike that does happen, the National Retail Federation came forward and also said that not only will this impact holiday goods, but also the upcoming spring merchandise that could be coming in. According to experts, should a strike last for an extended period, it could cause shortages and higher prices for goods, including fuel and food. Intel's announcement of a $20 billion manufacturing operation bringing thousands of jobs to central Ohio has been greeted as an economic boon. Daybreak Insider's Ron DeRockstra has more on this story. But it's also raised concerns about the impact on a region already suffering a housing shortage. Housing advocates wondering where everyone will live. The project's expected to attract 10,000 or more workers in the next few years. The Building Industry Association of Central Ohio says the region needs about 19,000 new multifamily and single-family housing units a year, but is only averaging about 8,200 annually. Ron DeRockstra reporting. Will your holiday packages get to their destination on time? Carriers like U.S. Postal Service, UPS, and FedEx say yes, as they are expected to have excess capacity after struggling under a crush of holiday packages in 2020 and 2021. Daybreak Insider's Rita Foley has more on this story that could impact your holiday shopping. The big shipping companies feel pretty good about this holiday season. The Postal Service, FedEx, and UPS confident now after struggling under the holiday crush for two years when the pandemic started. You remember, that's when many of us hunkered down at home and turned to online shopping. FedEx just told the AP, we're confident and ready. UPS is hiring about 100,000 seasonal workers to get over the holiday hump, and it has this advice for you. Shop buy and ship early. I'm Rita Foley. NASA's Orion capsule reached the moon, carrying its test dummies sitting in for astronauts. This is the first time NASA has visited the moon since the Apollo program 50 years ago. The capsule's close approach of 81 miles happened on the far side of the moon. Because of a half-hour communication blackout, Flight controllers in Houston did not know if the critical engine firing went well until the capsule emerged from behind the moon, 232,000 miles from Earth. NASA announcer Sandra Jones explains what the Orion capsule is accomplishing as it circles the moon. This outbound-powered flyby will send Orion close enough to the lunar surface to leverage the moon's gravitational force and swing the spacecraft once around the moon toward entry into distant retrograde orbit. Jones says this is different from the Apollo program when the spacecraft orbited much closer to the moon. This orbit is called distant due to the high altitude from the moon. It's about 40,000 miles past the moon in its orbit. This is actually 30,000 miles farther than the previous record set during Apollo 13 and will be the farthest in space any spacecraft built for humans will have ever flown. Jones explains what's next for the Orion capsule. Orion will remain in the distant retrograde orbit for one long elliptical around the moon, which will last about six days. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast. Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. 
Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Jim Bartow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.